life is a hat party get your head in gear life is a hat party so have no fear life is a hat party let your mind escape life is a hat party let your crown take shape let your crown take shape everybody Today is Friday, October 18th, 2019. My name is Chapeau Claudette, a.k.a. Claudette. And I was born with the last name Outland. This is my channel for my experiences as living a life as a hat party as I previously have had other broadcasts where I share taking care of my mother with dementia but she's since passed juggling being a hat designer and being very interested in astronomy and my journey with my other channel called Sky Astrology with understanding the impact of where the heavenly bodies are mathematically and astronomically and what that means for me and other humans on this earth plane. But something very magical happened on August 29th and I'm about to share that with you partly because I believe the future is voice and Instead of writing a press release, I want to explain it by telling the story, especially because I was asked by a journalist to send some information, and I'm very happy about that because it is quite an outlandish story, and it's not very easy for people to take on the facts. It's not very easy for me to take on the facts. Every time I go through my mind, to try to determine where do I begin to tell the story, it changes every time because I'm connecting the thoughts every day, every time I think about this life story of mine. So listen, because I really believe everyone has a life story and that has thoughts that need to be connected, but we are thought that those are just coincidence and that they don't mean anything. I believe now, through my experience, that everything adds up to something. So, I hope you stay with me after the break, and I will explain what I mean and put my dots in view and hope that you find that interesting enough that maybe you will start to think about connecting your dots as well the dots of your life be right back so I am back to share and explain the story about coincidences and what happened to me on the 29th of August 2019 let's start with the very fact the very fact that from our perspective, 
babies do not choose their name. Mostly, there's a parent who's been thinking about what to name their baby. There could be grandparents. There's so many people who are deciding the name of the child. But if you uh, respect or think about the kind of spiritual or esoteric thinking that says the babies choose their parents, then I'm thinking, well, are we saying maybe the baby chooses the name as well? Some people do wait to actually see the baby and then decide, oh, that's so-and-so. That's the name for this baby. So I like to, you know, understand that gray area as a uh, evidence that we are not 100% sure what the truth is in a spiritual sense. We only know in the physical world that the baby cannot decide their name. Therefore, it is based on the parents or family members, whoever, who is deciding the name of the baby. And the reason I want to talk about this is because my story and the research that I have been busy with has a big influence based on the name of the person without names I would have never been able to find the dots that connected me to a bigger story and therefore I think that it is important to acknowledge that names have a very big importance and that they are somehow connectors to perhaps energies and I have to say this because I do know a mathematician also known as a numerologist doesn't like to call himself that but he does work with numbers and names and he says that certain names they have a resonance resonance and a power to them very often these are names with double consonants and in this story we have such names what I want to start the story about is my name because I was not actually supposed to have this name as far as being a part of my family story you see my grandfather's name is Foresight But because he wasn't married to my grandmother at the time and she married somebody else, even though my mother was the daughter, the biological daughter of my grandpa Forside, my mother was brought up and had always the family name of the man who married my grandmother, which is Outland, O-U-T-L-A-N-D. It's funny, my mother sometimes wanted to change her name, but that was a cloudy area and she never did. So we were always outland. The second thing I want to point out is that my mother was really excited 
to name me Michelle. She had her eyes, her thoughts, everything set on this name, Michelle. Guess what happened? Her sister, whose name is Linda, had her baby first on October 8th. And she knew my mother liked the name Michelle, but she used that name anyway. So she gave her daughter's name, the name Michelle. And my mother, after so many months really being excited about that name, struggled in the month that she had when I was born, between the time that Michelle was born, to find a new name. When she was thinking of names with my father, she said, what about April? And my dad said, what about May, June, or July? He didn't actually like the fact that, you know, it would be just a name of a month. So it just shows how important names are, right? The funny thing is, my dad used to travel to Canada for business. My parents were never married either, but uh, I don't know, you know, who came first the girlfriend or not but my dad had a girlfriend once in Canada and her name was Claudette so my dad said what about Claudette now I don't know at the time if my mother knew he had an ex-girlfriend that came out later my mother liked it she said okay let's name her Claudette no middle name was given they didn't want to have a middle name so I'm just called Claudette Outland so this is how I could have been called Michelle Forsythe, but no, the universe would have it that I would be called Claudette Outland. That is the first point of reference. Yes, so this is the section where we jump from the naming to the first time that I encountered a name that was similar to one that I had picked for myself. This happened on my 30th birthday where I was given a book called Status uh, hats by Colin McDowell. In this book, there was a page called The Party, and it was talking about party tricks where hats were used. On this page, it spoke about chapeau graphie. Now, I was shocked. To see that word because I did not know the word chapography existed when I picked the name for myself, Chapeau Claudette. And I picked Chapeau Claudette because when I was traveling around doing promotion for the song that I had written, and especially in France, people could not pronounce my last name Outland correctly. Uh, but they could remember that I was always wearing a hat and that I was a hat maker. And because I knew that chapeau meant hat and well done, and I was at the time 
looking to move to Amsterdam where I could partner with a shop called Chapeau, which is one of the reasons as well that I named, gave myself that name, Chapeau Claudette. Until then, I was not called. I believe it was March. I've written it down because I do write down dates because I've been following the stars for over 30 years. So in March of 1991, actually, I had given myself the name Chapeau Claudette in Paris. I remember distinctly, and I had written it down. I liked the way the C, I made one big C, and then Chapeau with a small H and Claudette with a small L. And in 93, when I saw, that, when I got this book for my birthday, and I saw that the word Chapeau Graphie, then I was like, wow, that's interesting. I went on to read that it says Chapeau Graphie was actually a um, theater show that was oh, made famous by a man with the name of Tabaram. All this very new information. To be fair, the dates were wrong. It said 1722. No case, it made me curious. I eventually went to the Nash, the main library, a huge library in the middle of Berlin where I was living at the time. And I researched the name Tabaran. Now, at that time, there was no like easy use to the internet. You couldn't find it. So I had to go to the library and I looked and in the French encyclopedia section, in the lexicon section, the French section because it said Chapographie and Tabaran. I don't know if I looked in the English section first and didn't find it. I don't know. But I do remember finding the name Tabaran and not being able to read French. When I scanned down this, I saw, um, I recognized a two words, Tabaran et Isabel, E.T. Isabel. This is the second moment that chills went up my spine, literally, because a good five years prior, I had named a hat Isabel. So here with the names, again, a name that I had chosen for a hat, but it was based on actually a woman who name was Isabel. So let me just tell you this brief story on a tangent. When I, when it was after the wall fell down, briefly after in 89 that year, the wall fell down. So it must have been that. And I found a felt collar. Now what's wondering now, every time I tell this story, I get new information because I do have a picture of myself in 1988 before the wall fell down where I had this. I believe I used to make this hat. Yeah, I made this hat before and I made it out of velvet. That's right. Because I found a piece of felt at what they used to call the Polish market and it was the no man's land 
of the previous um, wall separation between East and West Berlin once the wall fell down and people were just selling anything. And I saw this collar, like this half moon collar on the ground. It was like everything was on the ground. Anyway, I bought it and that's when I started making Isabel actually with two materials. So actually I had started making Isabel um, early on in the in the 80s when I used to go to shops in my first show I believe it could have been 85 anyway this you know this is another thing every time I tell the story I'm finding out more things about my own story connecting the dots but I can research it's what I feel great about I can research that so the next thing happened is I was like overwhelmed by the coincidence that now I'm finding the name Isabel to my favorite hat and I look to my left and there's a guy there kind of dressed a little bit like French like a little bit of style and I just interrupt him because I just say listen do you speak French and he said yes I'm a door manager I don't know if this same in English but it's person who is so fluent in translation that they are like a walking mouthpiece. And he was that for German and French. So I asked him politely to read me this passage from the encyclopedia. And he reads, reads it and translates it immediately and he tells me that this is a story about a man who changes his hat shape and to impress the love of his life and her name is Isabel and that out of all the works that this person did this is the most popular story of work um, theater piece you could call it that he did so I thought oh my goodness so this turns out to be more works more stories from this person so it was interesting on that day I went to the um, desk and asked to if they had this book they did but it was on um, reserve because this book was so old printed in 15 no, 1858, that it wasn't allowed to be taken out of the library, but you could reserve it for a period of time to come to the library to look at it. So I put my name down to be the next person to want to look, to want to be able to look at this uh, book. So there's a lot of things that happen between time. But that was the first thing that kind of, you know, shocked me. The second thing is I do remember because I took... I have photographs and I was calling these coincidences that the guy's name was Jean Solomon. So I don't remember. I Maybe I do. I don't remember exactly. But I know I did research again where I could the name Solomon. And I came up with Solomon Islands. Solomon this, Solomon that. I never came up with Charlotte Solomon at that time. Now, this is early 90s. And so it could be, you know, well known. 
well, well, you know, fairly enough that her name would not have been in the internet at that time. And the internet was just really starting to take hold that you could find things on the internet. Like I said before, I had to go to the library to get this Tabaran name. And I remember even over the years researching Tabaran to kind of update and couldn't find things. Now there's quite a lot of stuff on the internet. So what happens after this is that I'm just, you know, absorbed with the fact that there's a connection to history with this and that my kind of hats that I've always made from the first day have always been hats that you can change the shape of. Even the hat that I found on the head of a cyclist on the Queen's Day, April 30th, goodness knows, I don't remember the date, but early 90s, was the De Bonnet, the paper hat object that I did not design, but is a multifunctional changeable hat. And this hat changed my life as well. I was about to move to Amsterdam when I found this hat, but um, it sold so well and it changed my business so much. I became uh, the branding and the designer for the Dutch company that imported the hat actually from America and sold it all around the world, starting in Paris at a show, also in the early 90s. So this was a verification for me that there was a connection to me wanting to have these changeable hats and somehow a history. It kind of didn't, it talked about this guy Tabaran, Tabaran, Tabaran as being someone who inspired Vol Molaire and that the name was used to describe a booth because Tabaran performed his theater pieces, his skits in the street and therefore it was kind of at that time lesser known, like less valued as someone who of course like Molaire who performed in the theater. In any event, when the research I was doing was mostly about Tabaran, I found out also that Tabaranique was a adjective that French that formed like a slang to mean anything outlandish because Tabaran's works and stories, which I would later find out once I uh, was able to get the book from the library, were outlandish. Talking about planets, which are talking about really crazy, asking crazy questions and giving crazy answers, very comical, which again pointed to, but I wasn't clear at the time, to Comedy de Arts from Italy. So this is the kind of thing that actually originated in Italy, this kind of comical, crazy, a little bit sexual overtone, outlandish um, skits and uh, ideas. But then for me, the word again, another one, my last name, outlandish. So first we've got Tabaran, we 
we've got no first we have chapeau graffiti and we got chapeau claudette then we have tabaron then we got tabaronique and we got outlandish outland and then we have isabel the name of the hat that i named before i knew any of this and that is isabel and i'm just thinking okay isabel kind of was on the back burner she was this the love of his life and i heard that they also had um you know these names were used again and again so it was always the same characters but different situations and one of them was isabel one of them was montour the captain one of them was um francesca and you know so forth so they were always these kind of stock characters it was in a way the feeling that was nothing really special about isabel but anyway, I went on and I just patented. I thought, oh my goodness, my Isabel is so special. I'm going to patent it all over the world. And I went about and it's about a long, you know, journey to patent it. And it cost a lot of money in America. And I did it myself briefly, but it cost money in Germany where I was living. But I wanted to do it in England because I thought this is the place of theater. And eventually I ended up moving to, to, to England partly because of that. I thought I could go there for a little while, speak English again, have a little break from Germany, teach my son, you know, his first language, German, but we could live in England for a while, patent the hat and see what happens. So we moved to Italy, we leave, and I'm pretty sure through Frankfurt because we had so much luggage and everything, and we wanted to meet up with my mother who was coming on the same day at the airport. Somehow we left on the 16th of April and we arrived in London on the 17th and stayed at the airport hotel. Or we woke up or we came late. I don't remember. We could have. I don't remember exactly. But I know that we left Berlin on the 16th and woke up and was at the airport on the 17th of April in London. 1995 so the reason that that is important is because later on I'm not sure when to be honest I realized and it was it was either a week before I left Germany or when I went back to visit Germany to be honest, I don't know. But I it would help to know because I don't think there was a plaque on the house of Charlotte Solomon when that happened. But I'm pretty sure it's coming back to me. Basically, in the street where I used to live, in Berlin, where I had my hat shop from... I lived there and moved there in 88 and I left in 95, right? I lived in Wielandstrasse 36. In Wielandstrasse 15, I walked by one day, like I said, I don't remember what day, and I saw the name Solomon. And of course, I thought, oh, what's that? That is Charlotte Solomon. Plaque born April 16th, 1917, and said she died in Auschwitz October 10th, 1943.
and I'm thinking, whoa, that is so weird. Here we go again. The name Jean Solomon. Solomon. I was looking for Solomon, and I know I never found Charlotte in the internet or when I was looking for Solomon. I only found Solomon Islands, and I remember being like, oh, there's no, that's not, not a reference to Solomon's. Just kind of biblical ones or whatever. So, yeah, I saw this plaque, and I thought, I can't, wait a second. I have a picture of myself arriving in Germany for the first time, same date. I have a picture of me and my boyfriend who was German. We left New York on a flight to Cologne. We left April, actually, no, I don't even think to Cologne. I think we had to go to Belgium, like super, super cheap flight. Anyway, we left on the 16th of April, 1984. And we arrived on the 17th of April, 1984, in Kern. And we took a picture in these booths. And I have the date written down. Yeah. So that's when another light bulb goes off. Wait a second. Here's a date correlation. I'm actually left America on the date of Charlotte Solomon's birthday. And I left Germany on the date of Solomon's birthday. And I left 11 years later. Later to know I made the decision to leave London or to leave my flat. 22 years later. And went to... I had an appointment for a, a conference on April 16th. 22 years later. After I moved to England, which I still need to catch up. It has to do with Amazon, but that's another story. But this date was clear that it was April 16th that I made the exodus. Let's call it that from America to Germany. And then again from Germany to London on the same date. What can I say about that? That shocked me. I think I was just, again, wow, what a coincidence. That is a coincidence because at that time, and this is definitely the 90s, um, I didn't see any information about Charlotte Solomon. It was only till later I started to see Charlotte Solomon brought up in the internet. Also a hidden figure. They say that Anne Frank, in a way, was spotlight was put on her instead of Charlotte. Partly because Charlotte confessed to killing her fa grandfather, which is the thing. Oh, I'm getting goosebumps because this is when, this is the key partly to the story. And this is why I tell this story and I don't want to make it that long. If you want to know more, I think I need a series to tell the story. But I'm doing this as a press release because someone wants to know. And because Charlotte Solomon is having an exhibition on November 8th in London at the Jewish Museum. And I will have a exhibition of this story of Tabron and Isabel in my studio from next week. October 26, 2019, to coincide and to run 
through to my birthday, which is the 18th of November. So I've gotten that information out of the way. So this is the clincher. Why I want to tell this story, and especially why, is because it's quote-unquote Black History Month in England. I'm not a big fan of, like, you know, this segregated history month. And I'm not a fan because of obvious reasons, because even more so now, my soul has no color. Our souls have no colors and our souls are so important. I believe that myself now. It is or maybe the higher self, but it is a force and an energy to be recognized and to acknowledge and to acknowledge the past which is rich and therefore what I want to say in closing and to bring this to a full circle about names is that when I was about 45 or when I was going back it wasn't even when I was 45 I was going back to see my mother 2010 was 2010 was I 45 anyway it was like gonna be 47 right I was in the hardware store and somebody asked me my name I said my name's Claudette and he said do you know Claudette Calvin I said no he said well Claudette Calvin was the woman who was arrested first woman actually she was a teenager 15 years old who was the first person to get arrested for not giving up her place on the bus for a white person and I thought really he said yes and I went and I back and I researched it and found out it was true, but she wasn't the right poster child because she was had an affair or got pregnant by supposedly gossip whatever a married man. And her mother said, Claudette, let Rosa Park be the one. So basically, it wasn't even Jess Claudette. She was the first one to be arrested, but there was another woman and several who were also arrested. And one of them brought a case, which is the as a plaintiff, and all four, including Claudette, were on that um, that bill to say to outlaw eventually this unjust uh, what do you call it Jim Crow law that if uh, white her if the bus is full and a, and you're sitting in a seat and a white person is standing, you have to give up your seat for them. It is really the arrest of a Claudette in Alabama where my mother had to sit on the back of the bus that started this movement that eventually changed the law in the state of Alabama. I don't know in the whole whole the country, but I know in the state of Alabama. But this is forgotten till this day. And as Rosa Parks, and I know, you know, they did it, you know, out of political reasons. She was working for the, for the NAACP. You know, she was a poster child. Nobody could say anything bad about her. They didn't want, of course, you know, the attention to be, you know, shifted to the fact she was pregnant at 15 or whatever the case may be. But aren't we living in a time we need to update this because Claudette Calvin is still alive. She's written a book, but even Greta Thornburg thinks that 
Rosa Parks was the first person alive, first person to resist. And the fact is that somebody her age, young, was the first person to resist. And I think that is important to make clear. And I have done it in Instagram, but it's not enough. And I feel my name resonates with uncovering and giving due process to those who, to clear up history, to make, to be clear, to clarify, and to give reference to the truth and the contributions that were made by those people. Which brings back to Isabel, because Isabel was not just a stock character in the Comédie des Arts from Italy. No, Isabel Adraini was an amazing woman who actually probably wrote most of the theater pieces. She was the only person allowed during the Italian Renaissance in a totally male club of writers. She performed for kings and queens. She had seven children. The eighth died um, during childbirth or as a miscarriage. And so did she in France on her way back from Paris to go back to Italy and Venice. My favorite city, but my two favorite cities are Paris and Venice have always been those are my most visited cities in my time in Europe ever that I've not lived in. That's just a side note. And it's just now coming to life. The works of Isabella Adraini. The work well known, and I'm closing, the Divine Madness of Isabel Isolini. The Divine Madness of Isabel Isolini is a theater piece that she wrote that shows how she could change her body language. She spoke more than six languages and her face using masks and puppets to tell the story and to change into different characters. And this story, The Divine Madness of Isabel, is when Isabel finds herself in a room and she doesn't know where she is and she's told to leave this room first. You have to tell us your life story. And so she goes about telling her life story by incorporating the people in her life and playing all those characters. That is just one of the stories of Isabel. So my question is, is it that Tabaron wants to impress Isabel by doing the same with a hat? What Isabel could do with her body and her voice and a mask or two. Let's go now to Charlotte Solomon, who is also until her 100th anniversary of her life, was a forgotten figure, kind of side-lined by Anne Frank. And because 
of the controversy with her her um confession and by the way the confession was because they believe she was abused by her grandfather and not only her but perhaps her aunt who she was named after but there was a um cloud of suicide in the family of Isabella her mother her grandmother her aunt and I believe several other members and to save herself and the suggestion of a doctor when all was so despairing and they were hiding from the Nazis and she was sent to France to be uh, you know to be saved in a way and her parents went to Holland and the doctor said, you know, it's good to, you know, if you're thinking about, you know, she found out that her mother, she thought all her life when she was young that her mother died of influenza. Then she found out she actually killed herself. And she felt, oh, God, you know, she was felt, the, you know, the urge, maybe she should do the same. And her grandfather had also horribly suggested that. But she, she decided, no, I'm going to live for all of them. So I will either take my life I or I'll do something totally outrageous. And this is the piece that she, uh, well, not even piece, a body of work she put together called Life or Theater, which in German um Leben oder de Arte, that means, de Arte in German means to do something crazy or to act crazy. Anyway, when she went to, to France, she worked every day and she made what you could be seen as a storyboard. It's not just a work of art, works of art. But with words and songs and characters, it's a story. And that's why it has 800 and so pages. It's not the art in a typical sense. It is a story of her life. Like Isabel's story of her life. In the divine madness to the life or the author of Charlotte Solomon. You don't know how my whole body is tingling. And I feel I'm doing a service to them because these women are no longer alive like Claudette Calvin or like myself to tell their untold stories, the stories that have been misconstrued, misrepresented, or just forgotten. And so the question for myself was, how will I honor the lives of Isabel, the life of Charlotte, Isabel Azraini, the life of Charlotte Solomon, and my life in the now? And I realized that most of my friends are artists and so I am also 
will be featuring some of their work on the exhibition of October 26th. And I'm asking the question, what is reincarnation? I'm asking the question, what is consciousness? I'm thinking in connection with biocentrism. I'm thinking about energy and scientifically being able to prove this. And I know I have. But that, my friends, is for the next podcast, which includes what happened to me on the 29th of August 2019 when I located mathematically and astronomically the point that I came face to face with someone in my spiritual history. I'm not sure how it works, but I know Charlotte and myself are connected. Und ich weiß, deswegen konnte ich so einfach, so gefühlsvoll Deutsch sprechen. Ich habe in, in Stuttgart bei der Ballettschule vielleicht weniger vor einem Monat äh, studiert. Und immer bis heute noch. Leute sagen, dein Deutsch ist hervorragend. Es ist so natürlich. Wieso kannst du so natürlich Deutsch sprechen? What I said is, is that it's no, it's become apparent to me. The reason that I speak such good German, even though I just went to school in Stuttgart at a Berlitz school for less than a month. And All the time, German people will say to me, oh, your German is so good. It's so natural. How do you know? Like, it's amazing. Is it because I've spoken German before? It's not a foreign language to me. Es ist nicht eine Fremdsprache für mich. It's a language I know. I'll leave you with that. Thank you so much for listening. This has been so exciting to be able to put some of these dots together and have an audience. Take care of yourselves. Bye. And it's a huge testimony to Zalmos courage, artistic talent, but also determination to create something that could uh, help her overcome her, her tragic life, but also uh, that will become a lasting legacy of amazing beauty. And the themes in the work really are compelling and resonant today, um, with you know, themes as oppression, gender violence, sexual violence, Jewish identity, anti-Semitism, and unstable political environment. Um, we're really very really happy to, to have this selection here. And I'd like to hear and mention and thank really very much Jamie, the um, mental health service of the Jewish community, Um, some talks in our amazing uh, events program. So really, thank you.
I would also like to thank uh, the generosity of our lenders. Uh, the work belongs to the Shalot Talmud collection of the Jewish Historical Museum in Amsterdam, where it was donated in 1971 by uh, Zion's parents. And I would like to thank in particular uh, the director, uh, Edwin Schreiber, for agreeing to run the work, but also collections curator, Irene Faber, who has worked tirelessly on making that work happen. Um, uh, my huge thanks and con congratulations go to my curatorial team here at the museum, who are absolutely amazing. And in particular, in particular to my colleagues, uh, Morgan Wolf-Foy and um, Ian Lindfrau, who really have done an amazing job but also to um, Ash uh, Namji and his technical crew uh, for really spending installation 